Come to the scripture. Let me ask you please now to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. You give it to us by your spirit and through your spirit uh, to enable us to really live regardless of the particular circumstance at the moment and even of what to come in the midst of all of this, uh, your word enables us to live. And so, Father, I pray now that you would uh, be gracious to us, uh, to listen, to think well, to understand, to believe, and to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to First Peter in chapter 4. Again, I want to read verses 7 through 11. First Peter in chapter 4, please. Hear the word of God. <clears throat> the end of all things is at hand, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Remember Peter's uh, teaching really this group of Christians who are spread out various places he's teaching this group of christians how they're to live in light of the end how they're to live knowing that the end of all things is at hand and we've talked through that and he says really you have two focuses one is upward dependence upon god manifesting itself in that we pray and what we pray and then outward they were to love one another earnestly so again, we've, we've talked through the prayer upward and we've begun this idea of what it means to, to really love one another earnestly. And when he says earnestly, of course, he, he means uh, consistently. Uh, he means from the heart. He means with everything you've got. Uh, because he says, above all, this is, this is really what matters. If this isn't true about us, that if we're not loving as Christians, then, then nothing else matters really. Certainly we believe in Jesus. Yes, that matters, but that will manifest itself in loving each other. And if it doesn't, then that doesn't matter, right? That's really the test, he says. Everyone will know that you're my disciples, that you belong to me because you love each other. He says, I love you and they'll see me in you when you love each other too. And that's, that's the indicator for everybody in the world. They don't ask your profession of faith, they watch your life. And so... They see that you love each other and they go, oh, that must be a group of people who belong to Jesus. And so he says, above all then, uh, love each other. And he lays it out like this. He could have laid it out differently, I suppose. But for this group of people in this particular moment in time, he lays out three things for them concerning love. One is that love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, they're to be, we're to be a forgiven and thus forgiving community. 
We're to cover sins. We're to be willing to bear the burden, to take the sacrifice, to pay the cost of what others have done against us. That we may forgive them. And then he says, you're to um, practice hospitality uh, joyfully would be the positive way of saying it. Uh, the pointed way of saying it is without grumbling. And so he says, you're, you're, to, you're to be hospitable. You're to be a welcoming community as the Lord has welcomed you. Then you're to welcome others. And then finally, he says that you're to serve each other. That love means to forgive. That love means uh, to be welcoming and hospitable. And, and love means to serve. Uh, Jesus served. Amazing thing. I mean, just that little verse I read earlier from uh, John chapter 10, verse 45. When Jesus said, I, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Think about that. What king says that? What Lord says that? He says, this is how you're to be. And all of this to the glory of God, of course, because he's the one to receive praise because we're reflecting him. He forgives, thus we forgive. He welcomes, thus we welcome. He serves, thus we serve. And our forgiving others, our welcoming others, and our serving others is evidence of his work in us. And so it's to his glory. It reflects him. Just like Jesus said, may they see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. That is, see you and go, wow, God's great. Wouldn't that thrill your soul? Wouldn't that thrill your soul to have someone see you or someone see us and their knee-jerk response would be, God is great. That'd be way better than them saying, thanks, Bill. Way better than saying, that's a great church. That would thrill us if they would see Jesus in how we forgive and how we welcome and how we serve. So that's the sense of love. He says, above all, love one another. So last week we talked about forgiving. This week I want to take up, if I can, if I'm able to make it through, these last two. But, but this, 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 this aspect of love, this expression of love, of being hospitable, of being welcoming. He says that we're to, to be hospitable without grumbling. Now, remember that when Peter writes to this group of people, they have two characteristics that are laid out in this letter, two things we can easily discern as Peter writes to them. First of all, he calls them exiles. In chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in various uh, countries, if you will, very re, uh, various regions of uh, that part of the world. Uh, and then in chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So, so we get that sense that they're exiles. Now, remember, these Christians aren't exiles because they've been forced to leave where they were born and grew up. It isn't that they became Christians and then were forced out of their homeland. He's saying, no, 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 no. 
you became a Christian right in this place, whether it's uh, uh, Galatia or Pontus or Cappadocia and so forth. You, you, you became Christian believers right there, but still you're exiles. Maybe better to say now you're exiles. Because while you're living in Cappadocia, you're no longer of Cappadocia. Because there's something else that's true of you. You're a believer in Jesus. And so they're in that sense exiles. Now we, we know what an exile is. They would know, Jewish believers especially, would understand what their hist- from their history what it meant to be an exile. And that is, it meant to be someone who wasn't home. Meant to be someone who was in another place. Meant to be someone who talked differently and ate differently and dressed differently and, and, and understood life differently and all of that than all the people around you. And you say, yeah, 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 that's it. It's a fitting name for you as a believer in the world in which you live. You're in it, but you're different. You're not of it. And so I can call you, Peter says, an exile. And you'll know what that means. And so he's saying to this group of exiles, welcome other exiles. Nobody else is going to do that. Nobody else is going to welcome them in. And no place else other than with you are they going to be able to feel at home or to be at home. So make sure you don't leave anyone out there. Now, very practically in that culture, of course, I don't know if Peter had a self-interest in this or if the apostles got together, but, 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 but traveling Christians didn't have any other place to go. I mean, there were some public houses, we might call them, but they weren't houses. They weren't places that Christians would want to stay. Very often, the, the, the moral uh, uh, goings-on in those places uh, meant that Christians wouldn't want to stay there. And so also, they would, where, where else would they stay? Where else would they go? So he said, welcome other believers. You know, Jesus had that sense as well. Whoever offers a, a, a glass of cold water... To one of these brothers of mine. In my name. So do that. Welcome one another. We're to be that welcoming kind of, kind of group. But not only that. They were suffering. Various trials as he says in chapter 1. When we get into chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial. That comes upon you to test you. We know that there was a sense of persecution at this time. And depending on how we date this particular letter. Of Peter's. Uh, it was probably to come as well. And perhaps even more intensely. Than they had experienced. That there was some sense of preparation for them. And so he's saying to this group of suffering people. Be welcoming to other suffering people. Bring them in very practically. Who else is going to help these people as they suffer? And so that's the nature of life for these particular Christians. So he says, he says to, to take care of each other, to really, to really welcome uh, each other. But you know, if, if I'm reading this, I might want to say to Peter, you know, I'm not doing so well. I'm just, I'm in exile here. I don't feel, you know, I need somebody to welcome me. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to. And it could be risky for me to welcome these other Christians who come in. Because you see, we're in the midst of persecution. And so, so if, 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 if I welcome this Christian apostle, this evangelist, this teacher, and I welcome him in, that's risky. All of a sudden, I'm being identified with this believer and 
suffering could increase. There was an incident like that in the uh, writer of Hebrews speaks of it in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. He said to this group of Christians, he says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This group of Christians, you see, were facing something similar that perhaps those in Peter's day were facing, Peter's area were facing as well. That they actually identified with other believers and when they identified with other believers, they were persecuted. You get the sense that when they were visiting the other believers in prison, that the authorities came and took all their stuff. They confiscated all their stuff. And they said, well, you're identifying with those Christians, therefore I'm going to come in and get you. But, but they said they suffered that joyfully. They would rather identify with those believers and themselves be persecuted than not. Because you see, it's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's who the Spirit of God in us is making us to be. Those who love, even if there are risks involved. Even if we could lose our stuff. Even if we could lose our standing. He says, no, no, no. Welcome other believers. And many of them would have been suffering. And I can hear them say, well, you know, I don't have much. How can I be hospitable? You know, I can't, I, I don't have enough food for myself, let alone to invite somebody else over to dinner and be hospitable. You know, I'm not doing so well myself. Uh, well, that's come up too. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he lays out for them a situation in the church in Macedonia, verse 1. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Notice it was the grace of God that was given. This is a work of God, nothing that they merited, but he worked it in them. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So you have a group of suffering Christians who Paul defines as living in extreme poverty. But he said, he took their affliction plus their joy plus their poverty and that then equaled great generosity. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us. They weren't grumbling about having to give, uh, about having to be hospitable to others. Um, But they begged Paul. You, You can imagine. 
I mean, I've spoken with many missionaries over the years and they say, you know, when they're traveling and they go into places of great poverty, that, that people who are very poor put on a great spread for them. They, they pull out everything that they have and what they've been saving because this missionary has come into that community. And the missionaries say, what we want to say to them is, don't do this. And when they do say that, the people say, are you kidding me? I want to do this. This is my joy to do this. I, I beg you to take this. Let me help you. And why is that so? Because that's what happens when the grace of God really works in us. We don't see that in us. We should be praying for grace. That it would work in us in that way. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they begged to be able to be part of this great grace. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So, same, upward, outward. Gave themselves first to the Lord and in so doing, then he works, transforms, fills with joy because of what he's done. Their whole outlook changes and they become generous even out of their poverty. Accordingly, we urged Titus as he started so he should complete this act of grace among you. So, so that's it, you see. Yeah, they were suffering, but still... Peter writes to them and says, I, I know you're suffering. Still be hospitable, even in the midst of your suffering. You see, sometimes what happens to us in the midst of difficulties and sufferings, we feel bad about ourselves if we're feeling like exiles, like we don't belong in the world and all of that, or we're suffering in particular ways. We become very self-focused. Now, some of that is necessary. You've got to take time out and deal with these issues that are affecting us and all of that. But even in the midst of that, be careful. We have to be careful that we don't become so self-focused that we forget others. And we go, first we look to God and then we look within. And that's it. Because you see, unless it goes out, we'll never really know life. We'll never really know joy. Even when we ourselves are hurting. I know it's a hard one, but think it through. It was part of their lives in this early church. And so, so we're to be welcoming. You know, the very practical thing for us, I don't think we have to worry too much about traveling evangelists and where they should stay. I don't think we have to worry too much about identifying with them and persecution and all of that. But, but here we are. I read a book, one of the books I read over my summer vacation, um, it was a, a, a book that spoke of the church like this. It says, the church is like an embassy. Embassy. There you go. It's a B, not a P. Embassy. You know what an embassy is? It, if you go to another country, it would be the U.S. embassy. And, and, and basically, it's a slice of home right there. Uh, basically, that embassy is an institution that represents the home nation in a host nation. And so... When those in the host nation uh, come to the embassy, what does the ambassador do? Well, he represents the home nation 
to that host nation. And what happens when a U.S. citizen comes into that embassy? Well, they first affirm their citizenship. You belong here. And then they could provide protection, could provide help in the midst of that. You should feel like you're at home when you're in that embassy. Well, the church is like that, you see. We are, we're an institution that together represents another nation. We represent the kingdom of God, which one day will come in its fullness and cover the whole earth. And that embassy, U.S. embassy in another nation, is in that other nation, but not of it. And so here we are as the church in, but not of. And so you see, when, when, when people from the outside come in, what do we do? Well, we declare to them the interests of our home. That is to say, we share the gospel with them. And we say, you want to be welcomed in here, then here's the welcoming message. And, and, and we'll receive you graciously, freely in Jesus. Trust him. And, and they come in. And when they do, we affirm that. We say, yes. And when other believers come to us, what are we to do? Well, we're to affirm their faith. We're, we're, we're to receive them. We're to welcome them. We're, we're, we're to... To, to help them, or to provide protection for them, and all of that. And you know, we could boil it down to the most simple aspect of this, and that is what happens around here on Sundays. I mean, people come to us. In fact, as this fall begins, people will be coming to us, people we don't know. And when this passage says to, 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 to be hospitable, it means to welcome the stranger. It means to welcome them in, all kinds. Some like us, some not, if you will. He says, welcome them in. Be gracious to them. And and we don't do this because we want our church to grow necessarily, just to be bigger, relatively speaking. We don't do this because we just want them to like us. We do this because if they're unbelievers, they must hear the gospel. And we do this because if they are believers, They must be part of a church. Because you see, for Christians, it's necessary for us to be linked not only spiritually, but also locationally, socially, together. Because you see, it's from church that come the means of grace to each of us. I mean, even as we come to worship, what's happening? We're experiencing together the means of God's grace to us by his word. It's a means of grace. How does grace come to human beings? It comes by way way of the word of God working by his spirit. What do we do as we gather? The word working by God's spirit. A means of grace through sacraments. A means of grace by way of our prayers together. A means of grace by way of our fellowship and love to each other. God works in all of those to bring to us his grace. Grace to come to faith. faith, Grace to grow in grace. uh, Faith to, to persevere in grace. Even faith to spread that faith. And so you see, see, it's necessary for us. This isn't an optional thing, this church thing. It just isn't for us. 
As we've said so many times, God has made us, wired us in such a way that one day in seven we have to stop and gather and gaze upon him. And we do that together. That's, that's how he works. And so he says, no, no, come together. And this stopping and gazing one day in seven, that'll be your sustenance. That will help you. The means of grace will come to you. Surely we take advantage of the means of grace all the time as we read the scripture, as we pray and so forth. And as we gather together and share together. But, but he says, listen, he says, this is necessary for you. And so when we see people come in from the outside, it isn't just that we want our church to grow. And so we, we want to be nice to them or want them to like us. But we see this as necessary for them this is their protection this is their help this is their sustenance this is their nourishment it really is and so we welcome them in come on in from out there if you don't get some of this in here you'll never make it out there come home and it's not just welcoming into a worship service or welcoming into this place but it's welcoming them into our lives to be able to share life with one another. Now I know we have all different personalities and all that kind of thing is going to manifest itself in various ways. But whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or however you classify yourself, still we, I, you, must be welcoming to others. Some behind the scenes are welcome. You make coffee and so forth and so on. Write notes, take meals, do that kind of thing. Others are up front smiling and shaking hands and inviting and all of that. But still, you see, that's the ethos of a Christian. The ethos of a Christian church is to be welcoming because Jesus welcomed us. And when he welcomed us, again, we have to picture ourselves rightly when he welcomed us. In fact, Jesus put in his own words in Matthew... Chapter 10, he says, he said, I looked out on the multitudes and I saw them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw us that way. Not only that, he saw us as his enemies. Not only that, he saw us as those who had sinned against his father. Deserving to be punished. And yet he gave himself that we might be reconciled to God. He gave himself so we might be welcomed into the kingdom of God. No matter who we see coming through our doors, none of them is worse than me. All right? That's just true. None of them. Whatever they've done, whatever they look like, None of them. And so he says, welcome them as I've welcomed you. How did he do that? He offered forgiveness. He offered reconciliation. He offered himself. So he says, I want you to be, I want you to be hospitable. He says, I want you to do it without grumbling. <laughs> I'm a rat. Right? I want you to do it without, without grumbling. Well, why? Do you really need to ask that? I mean, is it really being hospitable if you're saying, I really don't want to talk to you? I really don't want you to be here, but, you know, hi. <laughs> I really don't want to do this, but, you know, maybe you have to start there. I don't know, but don't say it. All right. You know, hospitality 101. But, 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 but you're just saying you do it without 
grumbling. Because you see, grumbling is an indication that you don't love. And hospitality is to be an expression of love. See, real love sacrifices joyfully. I always ask this question. I don't know why men rather than women who come and, and, and want to get married. And I always ask the man, why do you want to marry her? How do you know you love her? And so guys, take notes on this. If you're not married and you're going to get married someday and come to me, you'll know how to say this. Almost always he says, well, you know, I know she loves me because she's always there for me. And I, I know she loves me because, because, because she always helps me. And I know she loves me, but, and everything in his list is what she does for him. And I go, hey, phew, she's great. I know she loves you, but do you love her? I mean, any sacrifices you make? And then if they have any, they begin to list them. And I said, now, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Does that make you happy or sad to be able to sacrifice for this woman you love? And if it doesn't make them joyful to give, then I have to question, do you really love her or do you really love being loved by her? See, real love is joyful in giving. It just is. I think I can say this without crying. Um, when I learned, Karen and I learned that Kelly Liebengood was so sick, my first response, our first response, was to get in the car and drive nine or ten hours to Longview, Texas. And we couldn't because of some other constraints with people that we needed to, to be with. But that was our first response. That would not have been a sacrifice. would not have thought about that at all. And I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm just simply saying it's just true. It's just I love the guy. And so we'll go this week if we can. But it, it won't be. I said we'll drive down one day, spend a half a day, and drive back. Um, that won't be a sacrifice at all. You know that. You, you know what it's like to give joyfully because you love and so if you want to be hospitable, pray that God will enable you to love. That's really the point of it. Hospitality is a manifestation of love. If you don't love, nothing's hospitable. Above all, love, because without love, there's no real hospitality. We need to be a welcoming people. We need to welcome one another into our lives. We need to share our lives. Is it risky? Oh, yeah. You may get to know me. You know the old song, to know me is to love me? That's not true for me. <laughs> To know me, you go, I don't think it's so hot. And so, it's risky. Do we do it out of our own need and our own, our own suffering and our own pain? Yes, we do. Even in the midst of that, we still welcome. So we're to be that kind of welcoming people. Now, what he says to us is also is in this serving of hospitality, God will give us gifts. Notice, it says, verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. 
Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see, he says, listen, you're going to forgive. You're going to show hospitality. But never forget that in the midst of all that, God is at work gifting. He's giving to us gifts that enable us then to serve one another. He just doesn't leave us alone. He just doesn't say, oh, go do this. He says, I will work in you. I will gift you. You you know, many of you, this word gift, charisma, it means uh, uh, the result of or the effect of the grace of God. There's lots of charismas in a Christian's life. To be able to say Jesus is Lord is a charisma. It's a result of the grace of God. The passage I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work in us results in our being able to say Jesus is Lord. That's a charisma. Um, There are various gifts that he gives. Um, Peter uh, uh, sort of lays them out in two big categories, speaking and serving. Uh, They're not mutually exclusive. But as as I read earlier from 1 Corinthians and chapter 12, uh, we notice uh, a variety of, 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 of attributes of these, of these gifts. Uh, Paul calls them spiritual gifts. They're spirituals. They come from the Holy Spirit uh, in us who are spiritual people because the Holy Spirit has worked, has worked in us. And he says uh, that uh, there are varieties of gifts, various gifts. Uh, Peter refers to them in the same way as from older translations, manifold gifts. I love that word manifold, many folds. You know, like a, excuse this one, like a fat baby. You know, they're just, a, they're just lots of folds, you know. Don't you? I love fat babies. And you just kind of unfold, you know, all this. And, and, you know, after a couple of weeks, there could be stuff stuck down in those folds. You got to really kind of get out, right? And so, so many folded, that's the gifts of the spirit. So much in there, you just keep folding and folding and folding and folding because the Holy Spirit is, is creative and, 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 and knows everything and knows every gift that's necessary and everything to help us and all that sort of thing. So it's, these are many folded gifts. I, I don't think, and we can debate this forever, that the gift lists in the New Testament, whether it's 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or Ephesians 4, or this passage in 1 Peter 4, the little bit on gifts in 1 Corinthians 7, I don't think those are exhaustive or representative. I don't think they're exhaustive necessarily. I think the Holy Spirit can, can, can nuance all of those and, and do various things in us. And, and so there are many folded gifts, he says, but still one spirit, a variety of service. There'll be all kinds of service that we'll be involved in, but it's the same Lord, various activities, but, but the same God. And he's the one who empowers all of these things. So, so never think that when we're loving, that we're alone. Never think that when we're loving, that this is coming from us. Never think that when we're loving, it's just us generating this love. And if we don't, we're sunk because God's at work in us all the time, enabling, gifting, enabling us to love well. And he says, especially in this area of serving one another, he says, gifts will happen. Gifts of the spirit. And what's fascinating here in first Peter is that he says these gifts are manifold. Various. Well, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he says our trials are manifold. Our suffering is manifold. 
I think what we see here is he's saying for every suffering, there's gifts. And what that means is we really need each other. What that means is when someone's suffering over here, gifts will be given to someone over here. And the ones who have the gifts must love to help the one who is suffering. I don't know about you, but it always seems to me that when I pray for something, God gives it to somebody else. Like I need a raise and somebody else says, hey, I just got a raise. And I went, no. You know, I'm sick. Somebody else says, I feel great. Right? I feel depressed. Somebody else goes, man, I, I'm just filled with hope today. And, uh, and, and, and I think, though that's not always the way it happens, I think it's often the way it happens. And then God says to the one who got the raise, God says to the one who's filled with hope, God says to the one who's encouraged, God says to the one who's healthy, go and bless the one who needs in love. And that's how these gifts are distributed and shared, you see. And notice what else Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, um, verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You see, gifts aren't given to the person who receives the gift in that sense to hold. If, If I'm gifted in any way, it isn't for my good, it's for someone else's good. That's always the way we must think. You're not gifted in a particular way for your good. Oh, it may help you. But you're not been given gifts like that for your good, but for someone else's. So we must always be thinking like that. Why do I have this? Why do I know this? Why is this true of me? How can I use this in order to help someone else? We, I, have a tendency to bask in what God gives to me. And I said, this is great. I'm just going to enjoy this, you know. And, and he says, Bill, why do you think I gave you that? Not to keep it under a bushel, but to go and to share it with somebody else. That's how this worked. I looked on my shelf the other day and I saw this book that I used to read called The Wealth of Nations. A guy named Adam Smith. I looked up this quote. Sometimes I used to be able to quote it. I can't anymore. But Adam Smith says, It's not from the benevolence of the butcher, brewer, or baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own self-interest. He's known as the father of capitalism. We address ourselves not to their humanity, but to their self-love. And never talk to them about our own necessities, but of their advantages. In other words, if you want to get something out of somebody else, you've got to make it worthwhile for them. That's how this economic system generally works. That's not how it works in the church. It works in the church by way of love. By way of the person who has to love the person who hasn't. And give. Not according to self-interest. But according to the interests of others. Now I think Adam Smith nailed human nature. I think Jesus transforms it. And that's how we're to be. Forgiving. Hospitable. 
serving. He goes on, verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What that means is uh, we're not in control of all of these gifts. They're given as the Holy Spirit gives. Now, sometimes, you know, we can sort of over time see how the Lord has gifted us. The Spirit has gifted us in particular ways. And he calls some and gifts some. So there's teachers and prophets and, and, and evangelists and so forth and so on. But, 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 but just because you might know this gift of yours, it doesn't mean that that's the only way God will ever use you. Or the Holy Spirit won't combine that with all kinds of other things. If you have the gift of teaching, you, you, you should be merciful. If you have the gift of teaching, you, you, you should be uh, also encouraging. And, and so you, you want a combination of things. You want, you want, I want the Holy Spirit to enable you, me, to love in such a way that it actually helps When I was in seminary, I thought the way to love my wife was to come home from class at the end of the day and take the kids off her hands. At that point, we just had two, Josh and Sarah, and they were little. And I thought, here's the way I'll love Karen. I'll I'll come home, and I'll take the kids, and we'll go do something. She can have some free time, because that's how I would love to be loved if I had been home with the children all day. And you know what? It wasn't effective. Get this. She wanted me to come home and talk to her. Never dawned on me that that would be loving to her. That she, and and it, my love wasn't effective at all when I took the kids. And, and so what I prayed for is, Holy Spirit, enable me to love in such a way that's effective. Gift. I don't care what it is. Whatever is needed at the moment in this circumstance, in this situation. Sunday mornings, I pray that God would help me, gift me to teach and preach and communicate and so forth and so on. But other times, not so much. You know, I'm at the dinner table. That's the last thing anybody wants, right? So I pray that God would gift with encouragement and hope and help and maybe administration. I've never gotten that one. But, but maybe I could plan something. Uh, but... But, but I, when we go to visit Kelly and Marietta, on the way down, Karen and I will pray that God will gift us however he wills to make love effective. And I don't know what that will be. I don't, I don't know what that will be. Uh, but we'll see. I hope when we leave, they know the love of Christ. And if they do, they'll say, thank you, God, because I know Bill. He's not very good at this. And so they'll give thanks. And so, so that's the sense of it. And people say, how do I find my gift? Well, to be honest with you, I've interviewed hundreds of people over the years. And some people nail their gifts. Some people aren't quite sure. But maybe. And other people haven't got a clue. And so I, I know there are books out there that says everybody has a gift and you'll be able to find it. I, I don't know. I, I would say don't be preoccupied with finding your gift. Because, you see, we don't find our gifts for our identity. We don't find our gift so we feel good about ourselves. We don't find our gift so we know where we fit. We, we, we ask for gifts so that we can really love each other. So what I would ask you to do is to pray that God would make you, us, me, people who love. And then trust that he'll gift 
accordingly. And if we need to know that particularly because we're going to need to be in a particular ministry that requires that and that's going to be an ongoing kind of thing, then great, we'll we'll know that. We'll get it after a while. We'll we'll figure that out. We'll see that. But you remember when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now chapter 13 comes in the middle of 12 and 14. I know that's a surprise. But it does. Chapter 12 talks about gifts. Chapter 14 talks about gifts. What does chapter 13 talk about? It talks about love. The more excellent way. They were all worried about this gift or that gift. And how do you do this? And how do you do that? And Paul gave some advice and so forth about how to manage all of this and what all this meant. But he said, really, desire the greater gifts. Why? So that you can love better. And so, for me, over the years, I've simply prayed that God would enable me to love well. And when I find myself loving well, I find myself praying a lot. Because when I look at people's needs, I say, that I love, I say, I'm helpless. I mean, you know this, I mean, People come to you for advice, and what's your first thought? Wow, I have that same problem. If they only knew. I mean, how can I help them when, when, when I'm suffering from it too? And, and, and so what do you do? Well, you pray. God, help me help them. I know this is how you work, people to people, person to person. So, so here it is, and so here they are in front of me. So God, gift something here. What do they need? Help me to love them well. And, and Holy Spirit work. In such a way that we'll know you've been here. Work in such a way where they know they're loved. Work in such a way that they really know they're helped. And I think if there are people that praise like that, then I believe we'll be a people through which the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be manifested. And people will see Jesus because we love. And that's the purpose for them, that we might serve well one another. And all of this, of course, is to the glory of God. Because the the end result of that, of our being dependent upon him and not upon ourselves, the end result of our seeking him and, and not ourselves, is that he'll be glorified, he'll be honored. He'll be glorified because our lives will actually reflect him as we forgive, as we're welcoming as we serve. And it will be the praise of his glory because it will only be by his transforming and enabling grace that any of this really happens. The end, really, of all things is near. Therefore, we need to be sober-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. But above all else, we need to love one another earnestly from the heart. For love covers a multitude of sins. For love practices hospitality without grumbling. And love serves by the strength that God gives with the gifts that he manifests. All to his glory. And might I add... Our great joy. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us.
that you would enable us to, to really love well, to welcome well in the name of Jesus, to forgive in the name of Jesus, to serve in the power of the Holy Spirit. So help us, I pray. I pray that in these coming weeks, as people flood our church students and others who come into this community, that they will be welcomed. That many of us, even as we stand talking to our friends, will say, I'm going to risk this and leave my friend and go talk to that person I don't know. I'm going to say hello to them. I'm going to welcome them. I'm going to invite them to something. I'm going to bring them into my life. I pray, Father, that we can be that, we can do that. So help us. I pray that you would gift us, God, as we love. And that in these months and years that remain, that you would enable us to do all of that in such a way that we see a variety of gifts of the Holy Spirit among us meeting a variety of needs among us. And I pray that the world would see this and see Jesus. Father, we do pray for those who are struggling in various ways, whether it's relationally, in marriage, with friendships. Pray for our students as they prepare to return, knowing that there will be difficulties and bumps in the road through this semester, and we pray that you would prepare uh, us to receive them well and our ministries to receive them well and the campus ministries to receive them well and the university to receive them well. And Father, that we can welcome them in such a way that they will remain with us and that they will grow with us and that they will persevere with us and we with them. Father, for those who are suffering physically, I pray and We're grateful for your healing touch and grateful for Alan sitting here this morning and we pray for his recovery from his surgery and others as well. And Father, we do pray for Kelly and Marietta Liebengood. This dengue fever, Father, that you would give them hope, you would sustain them, strengthen them by the love of those around them by way of the gifts that you provide. And Father, that you would heal Kelly, that you would cause his kidneys to again work, that you would give him strength, and that he would recover and to continue, as he so effectively does, minister in the name of Christ at the university and also through the church and you would bless him as a husband and a father and a friend. Father, we pray that you would grant grace to us as a church to live these days in a way that reflects you and glorifies you. And this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.